What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 131 of the Lynch Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have learned to lead with their faith out in front. Today is going to be a fun one. If I've never met you before, I'm Mike, and it is so much fun to be on this leadership journey with you, helping you be the leader that you were created to be while going along with you to learn to be the leader I was created to be. And that's why I love these conversations. I remember the original. In fact, today in my notes file on Evernote, I found some of my original thoughts when I was preparing to do a podcast. And one of the things I had written down was, I wish I could get everybody I meet to sit at some of the lunches I get to sit with. I wish I could stick a microphone in the middle of the table so everybody could listen in. And that's what this podcast is all about. It's exposing you to some of the people that have opened up their time, opened up their lives, opened up their hearts, so we can all listen in and be the leaders that we were created to be. And I know you are like me. I want to help as many people as possible make that exchange. You know, we say it this way around North Star and around our lunch with a leader and all the things we do in leadership. I want to raise the spiritual temperature, not just of our community, which which I am passionate about, not just of the athletic industry, which I'm a big, uh, have a big heart for, but also of our country. And we do it through leaders. That's how it's going to happen. It's going to happen through men and women like you who take their faith seriously and go, my faith isn't for Sundays. My faith is for Monday to Saturday while I'm rubbing shoulders, walking alongside of the people that I serve and the people that I lead. You know, we want as many people as possible to get here to this podcast. And one of the ways that happens is when you share it. So if you get a second today, hit pause, hit share on iTunes, on Spotify, or whatever platform you listen from, share it on your social media. It helps a ton. And if you get to leave a rating and review, it honestly means the world because that is how people find their way to us. And we want we want Jesus to blow up in the social media world and in this podcast world as people learn that the best way to lead is to lead like him. And that's what we're going to talk about. Well, today I get to sit down with a second time guest to the podcast, Christy Wright from Ramsey Solutions. You may or know, may know her from the Christy Wright podcast. Uh, it's part of the Ramsey Network. You may know her from Business Boutique. But let me tell you, her new book, Take Back Your Time, is on point. It is so good. You know, every person has an equal amount of time. Some people, though, just know how to use it a little bit better. And Christy and I have a great conversation around this topic of time and how to make the most of our time, how to maximize our time. It's a fun one. 
and it's a good one. So I don't know what you've got to write on. Maybe you've got your iPad out or your Remarkable out or you got a you got a little journal out that you can sketch in and you can write in or you, in your notes file you can thumb in. This is one you're going to want to grab some of the, the nuggets that Christy drops for. So I want you to pull up a chair and I want you to listen into my conversation with the amazing, talented speaker, author, podcast host, and leader, Christy Wright. Well, Christy, thank you so much for joining me again on this episode of Lynch for the Leader. It is a joy to have you. I'm, I'm so excited to be here, Mike. I'm such a fan of yours, such a such a friend, and I'm so grateful for this. So thanks for having me. Well, you are so kind. Well, you are in a fun season because today we're going to be talking about your new <laughs> book, Take Back Your Time. And this is incredibly relevant in your life because you have a six-year-old, five-year-old, and two-year-old who don't understand it's your time. Tell That's me right. how this, how tell me how this has all come about. Well, I, I will tell you, Mike, I wrote the book I needed <laughs> because this is hard. <laughs> and here's what's interesting though. So you and I go way back, and I think we were talking, you know, off off air before we even started recording that. Our last interview was in 2017. But what's interesting is I've been a business coach for over a decade. And so I've coached men and women, large businesses, side gigs, everything in between. And in being a business coach for over a decade, the number one question that I have been asked is not a business question. Mm. It's this question. How do you balance it all? How do you balance everything? And I'm asked it by men and women, those with kids, those without, those with little kids, those with adult kids. It doesn't matter. It seems like Everyone feels so strapped for time. And the thing that's interesting to me as a coach and as a content creator and a problem solver, the thing that's interesting to me is I think that there are issues below the issue. Mm. I think that we skate at the surface and we talk about time and calendars and apps and productivity and efficiency, and we still feel like something's not right. Mm. And so to me, that says there's an issue below the issue. And, and when you look at how we view our calendars, how we, the narratives that we believe, the ways that we talk to ourselves in relation to how we spend our time, it's so weighed down by guilt. Yep. It's so weighed down by shame. We always feel like we're failing. No matter what we're doing, we, we're sure we're doing the wrong thing. We don't know what balance is. We're just sure we don't have it. And so I'm going, I want to tackle this topic and I want to dig deeper and go, what's going on at the core and let's solve it there. And that doesn't mean it's going to be easy or effortless. And it doesn't mean we're not going to manage the calendar. We will. But if we don't fix this at the root issue, then we can rearrange our calendar all day. And we're still going to drive to work and and go throughout our day feeling like we're failing when we're not. I don't believe that's the life God has called us to. And I don't believe it's true. And so I really wanted to reclaim this word and shine some light in a space that feels very weighed down by darkness and shame. That's really good. And I like that you hit, Christy, that it's it's men and women. It's yes. it's business leaders and it's at home. And yeah. so I want to I want to dive in on the balance word. Will we ever have perfect harmony and balance? Is that an even an achievable goal? Or is that something we need to just put off to the side and go, this balance is going to look very different than what we thought it would? What would you say to that? Here's what's interesting. I think we talk about the word wrong. Okay, so like when I'm asked this word, I'm always asked in the same way. Balance is used as a verb. How do we balance it all? How do we balance everything as if balance is something you do? Okay, well, if we look at it that way, then there's always trade-offs. You always feel like something is off kilter and no, it's never possible to have a perfect balance. If you get that, just don't move, right? Yeah, like, that's, it's like, a, that's, that's exactly that right. It's not right. But what's interesting is when we throw out the word, 
and we say balance is an illusion, balance is BS, balance is impossible. Ba like we just like hate the word. What's interesting is it never really takes our desire away for something that we're calling balance. Yeah, We yeah. still have this desire in us for something to be right, for something to be uh, better, to not feel so guilty all the time. And so we circle back and we feel like, oh, I need more balance, but then, oh, balance is impossible. We have this like tug of war with the word. So what I started asking, I started asking a different question. What if balance isn't so much something you do, how you balance it all perfectly like a verb? What if balance is something you could become, meaning you could be balanced and still be busy? You could be a balanced person in an out of balance world where balance looks more like peace. Mm -hmm. feeling confident in your choices when you say yes to this thing or no to that thing, being proud of how you spend your time for once in your life, actually enjoying your life. Yeah. I think that that's what we're really after when we say we want balance. And it turns out the path to that is not productivity. It's not a better time management app. And when you think about this word balance, think of all the analogies we have, Mike. Like we've got walking a tightrope, spinning plates, juggling balls. Some balls are rubber, some balls are glass. Which balls can you let drop on a Tuesday? Like this whole activity yep. sounds stressful to me. Have you ever seen a tightrope walker? Their whole body is tense. Yep. I don't want to live my life that way. And so it, I just started asking different questions and, and reclaiming and reframing and redefining this word to something that's not only possible, but that actually solves that deeper desire that we're after. So what if our mental picture of balance was not a juggler? What if our mental picture of balance was saying, hey, I'm gonna choose which balls I'm gonna hold right now. These are my top three priorities in this season or this week, I'm gonna hold them because I can control what I hold. That's right. And I'm gonna sit the others down. And I'm not gonna tell myself I'm failing because I'm not doing this, this, and this in this season, I'm choosing to sit that down. I didn't drop it. Yep. I didn't let it slip through the cracks. I'm not failing. I'm choosing what I can hold in a season that is realistic that God has for me. And I'm choosing what to sit down. And so the way that I summarize it in the book is life balance is not a 50-50 split between work and home. Life balance is not doing everything for an equal amount of time or everything all the time. Life balance is doing the right things at the right time. Yeah. And when you do the right things at the right time, you will feel that sense of balance that you've been looking for all along. And here's the great news. You get to decide what's right for you. Yeah. So if you've got an Olympic athlete training for 60 hours a week for the Olympics or a new mom trying to get two hours of sleep or a young lawyer trying to build their practice or someone that's on sabbatical for six months, any of these extreme examples or anything in between could be balanced to that person as they do the right things at the right time. I'm going to choose what's right for me and hold those. And I'm going to sit the others down and not feel guilty for those. And it's a very powerful shift when you realize that you're more in control of your schedule than you realize. That's exactly right. And, and we almost, and you're a striver, you're an achiever, you're a grower. And yes. so by doing that, we just continually add more to our plate. Always. So the 20 year old Christy that was striving and growing compared right. to the mom Christy and the business right. leader Christy. Now you continue to add, how do you continue to keep that in check? Cause yeah. you know, for this, for this season, it's this, but next spring, it could be totally different with a promotion at work. What would you yes. say? Yes. Okay. So we've got it. This is a very key business and life principle. And I think a lot of leaders get it in business. I don't think we get it in life. Um, but we've got to be willing to do one thing. We have to be willing to adapt. Mm -hmm. So to your point, 
let's say I set some goals in January, you know, we've got the new year, I set some goals in January, my entire life changes in May, I'm beating myself up in September that I'm not doing the goals mm. in January, I did not adapt to my life changing, instead we feel like, oh, I've got to pull myself up by my bootstraps, I got to buckle down, be more disciplined, no excuses, no excuses, strive, mm. try, it's like, no, 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 there's wisdom in reassessing what's right right now, so the way that I'm lay this out in the book. I, I give five tactical steps to creating your version of balance, figure out what matters, stop doing what doesn't matter, yep. create a calendar that reflects what matters, protect what matters, and be present for what matters. When you follow these tactical steps in any new season, then you're always doing the right things at the right time. But a, a way to summarize that whole path into one simple question is this, to just get in the habit of asking, what's right right now? Mm, mm. What's right right now? Now, if you're a person of faith, I believe that God will show you what's right for you right now. Now, notice I did not say what is easy right now. That's right. What is good right now. A good thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. Mm. A good thing at the wrong time will stress you out. I want to get a dog, run a marathon and go to Europe. That's not right right now, Mac. Yep. <laughs> that would stress yep. me out. But just because something's not right right now doesn't mean it'll never be right. But it turns out that when you do the right things at the right time, even if those things are hard things, when you do the right things at the right time, you feel that peace. You feel that relief, that sense of pride, that sense of alignment with the spirit, the sense that you're doing what God's had for you in the right things at the right time. And I think we call that balance. I feel balanced. I feel peace that I'm doing what's right. It's not easy. I'm in a season of that right now. It's not easy. And it might even be hard. Um, or, or gut-wrenching or difficult or painful. You're taking care of a parent that is sick. You've got a, yeah. a cancer diagnosis. You're trying to heal and go through chemo. You've got a child that is failing in school and they need all your attention. None of those things are easy. But if they're right, then all the other priorities and demands fall in line behind what's right right now. Mm. And so if you can, if leaders can get in the habit of asking yourself this question, what's right, right now, the implication is it gives you permission to adapt. To change your mind in May or June or September or next week or tomorrow. When things change, things need to change. But here's what's so cool about this question. And I've gotten myself in the habit of asking it on a regular basis, specifically at the beginning of a season, what's right right now this season. So for me, my, my life kind of, my year falls on three seasons, spring, summer, and fall, follows my kids' calendar and my work rhythms. Um, but it may be different for someone else. What's your season kind of like? Are you in a season of a health scare, a season of a busy project at work, a season of whatever. So what's right right now this season, meaning what are the top priorities? And then even within each season at the beginning of a week, Sunday night, my husband and I sit down. Okay, hey, what have you got going on this week? What are the top priorities this week? Maybe it looks just like your season. Maybe it looks different that week. And then even within each week, every single day I start my day, it takes two minutes. This is not a long practice. And I just check in with myself. And I go, how am I feeling? What do I need? What are my priorities for the day? What's right right now today? What's going on? Because maybe you set plans on Sunday and by Thursday, your week got derailed or your energy has drained and you have permission to change your mind, your plans, your priorities as your life changes. And, and here's what's cool. When you ask yourself this question, what's right right now? You give yourself permission to focus on those things. That's right. Focus on what's right. You give yourself permission to make progress in those things, to be present for those things. But here's what's really cool. You also shake the guilt for all the things that are not right right now. Mm. You don't beat yourself up anymore and tell yourself the story that you're failing. So for example, in this last fall, my priorities were launching my new book, being with my family and seminary. 
Those were the three top priorities. I was not working out, keeping my house as clean as I want, or spending time with friends. So when I walk through my living room and I step over toys because my living room is not as clean as I want, I don't beat myself up and say, you're failing. Instead, I say, girl, that's not right right now. You're reading yeah. 300 pages a week on Revelation. You're doing oh, great. Lord bless your soul. So it shakes <laughs> the guilt for what's yep. right. Everything is not right all the time. So identify what's right and do that. And I think you'll feel the balance you've been looking for. How, how quickly, so a person comes in for business coaching. How quickly can you spot guilt? How quickly can you spot their life? has no focus and no, no intentionality to it. Is that pretty easy for you to pick up on and, and why? Yeah. I mean, you hear the guilt in the way that people talk about this, that I, people say I failed today or here's how I'm failing. Here's the failing word just gets me, man. Like, it's yep. like, I think we're going to get to heaven and God's going to go, <laughs> you lived your whole That's life right. thinking you're failing and you worked. So I want to help set people free from this lie because you hear it in their language um, and they even brag about it sometimes and they call it humility and it's not mm, mm. that aside, what I really see the most in any type of coaching call is there are so many inaccurate assumptions. Um, and what I mean by that is, oh, well, I can't do that because it's like says who, well, I'll never be able to do that because, and, and that would never work because, and well, you can't do that. And I can't do it. There's so, we, there's something very powerful in just questioning your assumptions, questioning your beliefs questioning why you're doing something, why you're not doing something. And when you peel away the layers, which which admittedly, that takes effort and energy. Yep. you got to have, if, if you're exhausted, you're not going to peel away the layers to dig into your deeper motivations to see if you need to solve some problem in your life. You're just going to keep barely keeping your head above water at the surface. I get that. But if you can step out of the weeds in business or life, step out of the weeds enough to go, why am I doing that? Yeah. Or why am I not doing that? Like it's Christmas right now at the time that we're recording this and we've got all the Christmas traditions. This is a, this is a micro example of what you just said, where we just add things to our plate and we don't take anything off and we hold our feet to the fire, even when things have changed and beat ourselves up when we don't do it. So Christmas is one of those interesting things, especially with Pinterest, man, as a mom, all oh, the gosh. traditions every year, we just add new traditions, yep. but we don't take away traditions. Our tradition routine every morning is three hours long. Like, it's yep. like we, we got elves, we got, Christmas Advent calendars. We got put the magnet on the tree. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's time for this. So this year, one of the things I'd done in past years, I'd seen this on some who knows mom blog somewhere. Oh, isn't it fun to wrap all the kids' Christmas books? And each night they open a different Christmas book to read. Well, that sounds so cute. Fantastic. Sure. Did it the last three years. This year I was like, nope. Those books are going in a basket by the fireplace. Pick your book. Choose your destiny here. Like, it's like, you don't have to keep doing the things you've always been doing. That's good. You know, it, it, That's why? Really Does it good. matter to the kids whether it's wrapped or not? No. Does it take a lot of time for me? It actually takes a lot of time to wrap 25 books, by the way. So you just question your assumptions on why you do what you do and why you don't do things that you want to do. And those people call it limiting beliefs, which is true. But I think sometimes that language, we just give an eye roll. But if you just ask yourself, if you're feeling stuck, question the assumption that makes you feel stuck. Maybe it's something valid and you really can't move forward. Maybe it's something you're going, says who? I can do that. That's right. And what I like about this, Christy, is it causes, you know, taking back your time begins with a pause. It begins with stopping long enough to step back and evaluate, not just continuing. You know, I think you'll never, 
take back what's rightfully yours if you just keep moving ahead. There's got to right. be a pause the beginning of the week, Sunday well, night. Not- you know, it, it just you and your husband building into your routine to pause, to look at the week. Every week changes, the seasons of life change, but you don't you don't take back your time by moving faster, right? You no. take back your time by moving smarter. Well, and so much of this book, one of the sentences I say in almost every chapter of the book, if not every chapter, I say, this is your life. That's right. This is your life. And that sounds so simple, but we operate as if we are victims to our schedule and we're not. Anything on your schedule is something you put there, something you allowed to be there. And then we go through our whole world complaining that we're stressed, overwhelmed, exhausted. I have to do this. I have to send Christmas cards. I have to wrap all the Christmas books. I have to be PTA mom. I have to go to all these 500 meetings. I can't delegate. I can't. None of those things are true. Yeah. You don't have to do any of those things and you can delegate and you won't. And so there's a hard look in the mirror going, hey, there's an element of personal responsibility here that this is your life. And if you're miserable, fix it. And here are some practical things you can do. You don't have to do 90% of things you think you have to do. You're choosing to do them and then complaining about them. So let's find a way for you to align your time with what you want to do, with what is right for you, and then set you free from that narrative that you're a victim to your schedule because you're not. This is your life. That's what I love the title. Take back your time. The implication is it's your time because it is. But then the tagline is the guilt-free guide to life balance. I want to help you shake the guilt and take, take the reins back. You've already got it. I just want to show you how to use it. You know, you, you write the book, you're living life while you're right. Sort of like us. We, we stand up, speak every Sunday. And then during the week I have to live, <laughs> but it's, it's a lot easier to speak it. Than it is right. to live it's it. a good source uh, of accountability. My wife will like, go, Ooh. you know, you spoke about that. Yeah. Don't bring that up. I, 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 right. I like for to wallow over here. Right. What's been a blind spot for you? What's been, what's been something, even knowing all this, you still find yourself having to battle with this. I love this question. Thank you for asking. I have several, but I'll tell you the one that is like my Achilles heel. And I write about it in the book because it it gets me every time. I take the bait every time. I really have a hard time saying no. Mm. Like you would think for someone that speaks on saying no and has for a decade, I have have like free downloads on how to say no. You'd think I got this thing dialed in. I write about it because it's so difficult. And for me, it's not so much about hurting the other person's feelings, though I wish it were. I wish I was more considerate. I'm an Enneagram 8, high D. Like, it's it's not so much a thoughtfulness that it's coming from. It's because there's this deep need in me to be needed. Mm. Man, mm. I love to be the hero. I love the applause. I love people thinking, how does she do it? Yep. She's super mom. If I'm real honest, I love that. I love that admiration at how I do it all. And so when an opportunity comes up for me to do some more, to impress some more people, to save the day, be Mother Teresa, be the hero, uh, man, that complex gets me every time. And so um, saying no is definitely one of them. Another, um, Another thing, and this is for me being a person of faith, this is something I'm living out real time. I don't stop and ask God if something's right. That's good. I just, I just check if it's good. Does that sound fun? Sure. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, like, yeah, yes to this and yes to that. And it all sounds good. And we're in a world where there's more opportunities and demands than we could ever possibly have time for. So we're going to have to make choices. And if we only ask ourselves, is this good? Then we're going to do a lot of good things that at the wrong time actually stress us out. And then we wonder why we're resentful about that good thing we thought we wanted to do. And then we don't. And then we feel all squirmy and bad inside. 
So just stopping to ask God, God, is this what you have for me mm. right now? Is this what you have for me? Um, and, and I'm going into a year where I don't have a lot planned and it's tempting for me to go stir a bunch of things up and go make a bunch of things happen That's just right. because they're good. And I'm full of ideas, 9 million ideas a day. But I think to pause as a person of faith and go, God, what do you have for me? Will you tell me what is right for me versus me trying to um, spin this up on my own from my own very limited vantage point? So just pausing enough to think through my decisions, I, I go so fast. It's hard. It's hard to slow down and think and plan. It is. And, and I think every leader, no matter what Enneagram they are, or no matter what they are on the disc, has that need to be needed and they have yep. that need to to i think we achieved where we are because we fulfilled somebody's sure. needs right sure. and, and which is a good thing right? it's a That's wonderful a thing. thing yeah but but the the hard part is the larger the platform gets the more needs there are so when the lord now i want to dive in on this a little bit so when the lord speaks to christy and you go lord i want to stop and i want to present this to you how do you know as a follower? How do you know? I mean, you're you're like me that write it in the sky, doesn't, you know, send me a text or an email, but I know in my spirit, how do you know when I should move forward with something and when I shouldn't? Yeah, so it's interesting. The class I'm taking in seminary right now is called Practices and Vocation Formation. And there was a whole week dedicated to callings and the different mm. ways that God has called people according to their testimony the different ways that God has called people through history. So, I mean, you talk about like legends of the faith from as far back as, as we have historical records. And it's fascinating because there is a, a, a variety of ways mm -hmm. that God's calls people. For some people, it's a nudge over time. For some people, it's like a lightning bolt moment. For me, um, one of the things that is, and, and I know I sound crazy, I'm totally okay with that. Because um, it's like the conviction is so deep. I'm yeah. like, I'm so okay with being crazy. Um, I hear words in my mind, or mm -hmm. I, words enter my mind that are not my own. And so it's not audible. I don't hear, a, a, I don't hear it through my ears, if this makes sense, like out in the world, but I will, God will put a sentence in my mind that is so distinctly not my own thoughts. Now there are times where things enter my mind and I'm like, is that God? Is that just my mind running wild? Cause I got a wild imagination and I'm not sure. And I hold that very loosely, but there are times where God has spoken to me. That is so distinctly. God. I'll give you an example. When I came to work for this company. So in 2009, I was standing on my deck and I had been working a nonprofit for three years and I was extremely burned out working 80 hours a week. I was beyond burned out. I was ready for something new and I felt God was leading me to something new. And I was standing on my deck one day and I prayed. I said, God, I just don't think I'm ever going to find a company I believe in as much as the YMCA. I love that we change lives. And the sentence that entered my mind was, you're going to work for Dave Ramsey. Mm. And I never knew, had never heard that name. I never knew who Dave Ramsey was. I had to go Google that name. So for me, it's a, a lot of times they're, and they're not always like that. Sure, but sure. in big things, it's a divine moment. Okay. Other times it's a nudge. It's just this urging. It's like, it's like almost like your spirit is pulling you in a direction or pushing you away from a direction. Like, I just, I can't say yes to that. I don't know why. I just, I have a check in my spirit. I feel resistance. I feel like I'm not supposed to do it and I can't explain it. So either a pull towards or a resistance from, that's and that's a more just subtle, um, Oftentimes you'll get it in, in words. So a, devo a devotional scripture, a friend, someone that just speaks to that thing at just the right moment. And they never knew what they were saying, but you did because you were right in the middle of a conversation with God. And then that thing speaks to you right where you are. Those are the most common. So the real extreme and is not real frequent, but a sentence in my mind 
um, the nudging towards or away from in something. And then um, scripture are, are really how I felt. And then there are things that you just, let's just be honest. There are things you don't get clarity on and you just move forward the best that you can. There, right. there are clear, there, you move forward with the information you have. And in the book I give, in, in one of the chapters, I give you multiple questions to ask yourself to help you discern when you don't know. When God's, when Gabriel's not appearing in your living room That's telling right. you what to do today, it's like, okay, here's some questions to ask yourself. How will this affect my family? Is this in line with my goals? Is this a priority right now? Do I want to do it? And an even more powerful one, will I want to do it then? I might want to do it today, but will I want to do it then in, in February for that thing I've committed to or Sunday night for that thing I've committed to? And so you, I, I walk you through some questions to ask yourself to bring to the surface what the best decision is for you. Because at the end of the day, we live here in the natural and the practical, and we have to make decisions all day, every day. And we're not always going to have this divine guidance, most likely telling us what to do for every small decision. So we have to have a framework to work from knowing, and I put this disclaimer in the book, knowing that the framework is the baseline. This is how we make decisions to identify what's right for us. And at any moment, the Holy Spirit can wreck your plans. At any moment, the Holy Spirit can go, go this way, go that way. And I'm in the middle of that right now. I'm in the middle of of the Holy Spirit leading me in a direction I never saw coming. That Mm -hmm. just is a complete head tilt. And and in those moments, you have to obey. The plan goes out the window. The framework goes out the window. You obey as a a child of God. And so it's both, you know, it's not just let the Spirit lead you. And it's not just do it yourself. We need both. That's really good. And I love that answer because it's yes. It's right. yes to all of it, right? right and for right. for how how I need to be spoken to is not how Christy needs to be spoken to. We right. got two different two different personalities. What I love about it is for everybody who's listening, God cares how we spend our moments. Yes. You know, there, there's a verse. In fact, I'm teaching to a business group this afternoon, and there's a verse in the New Testament in Acts, and it said David served his purpose in his generation, and then he fell asleep. He was done. Wow. You know, you you yeah. think about your life. God has a yeah. purpose. He created Christy Wright for so how she maximizes her every second, every day matters more than anybody could ever know. And there are those times I think we think God's will is like this tiny little dot and we're, we're, we're hoping to hit it when it's a lot bigger than that. It's, it's God says, yes, which, what do you want to do, Christy? Yeah, I'm going to use you either place. What do you want to do? Yes. And I love that example with David, because what's interesting is I think we tend to think of our time as like this time management, money management, career, like we've got these wheel of life, these goals, and it's almost like something apart from us. And then we have our life and our legacy and our Mm. purpose and what God has for us. It's like how you spend your time is how you spend your life. That's exactly right. This matters. I'm not talking about here's, here's a category in the wheel of life and how to manage it more efficiently. I'm going, this is your life. You get one. Mm. How do you want to spend it? If you saw a report of like, here's how you spent your time the last year, five years, 10 years, whatever. It's like, does it match what you want? It there's, I'm not going to tell you how you should spend it. There's nothing in the book that tells you how to spend it. I just want to help you know how you want to spend it so that you can spend it on that. Because this is, this is your life. You get one and how you spend your time is how you spend your life. And buddy, it goes so fast. We were talking yeah, earlier about the yeah. age of your kids. So I was telling, right. I was telling you earlier, my daughter, right. we stood at the top of the aisle to go down for her wedding. And yeah. I've probably done 500 weddings. Right. I'm older than dirt. And so I've done hundreds <laughs> of weddings. I'm always on the other end. Right. And when that crowd turned around and uh-huh. she's on my arm uh-huh. and I looked at her and looked at that crowd, 
all of those years became nothing. I mean, all those years, she's been my little girl, my daughter, and, and we can't get that time back. You you can't rewind things. So I've got a question. I'd love to know your answer on this. So I do a, uh, had Katie Cole. I don't know if you know, Katie, phenomenal female leader, but she does a lot in female leadership. And she challenged me. She said, Mike, you do a lot, great job investing in men. You know, there's a whole generation of ladies that aren't being invested in. They're sitting on the outside. And so we began a ladies leadership group with business leaders across Atlanta. It's been fascinating. And so I asked them this question, what, what do women face with time and leadership that's different than maybe what a man faces? So if Mm -hmm. you were speaking to a listener driving in today and they're leading, they're at a company and they have ladies and executive leadership and they have a wife and they have mm-hmm. friends that are growing in their business platform. What do you face as a lady when it comes to time management that may be a different expectation than what a guy has to face? What would you say? I love this question. I want to give, I wanted to, I want to give a disclaimer before I answer it, because I think that like with any issue, there's always a a very real issue at the base and then it can balloon into drama, into extremes, into even a lack of credibility where um, being pro woman means you're burning your bra and causing a scene and just protesting everything. And and I think, I don't think that that's not what what I have in mind either. Yeah. But, but you got to be careful in how you talk about women's I I feel like I do because I feel like I could get put in this box of like, we're just angry. We're just angry. I'm like, I'm not, I actually, my whole strategy as being a woman in leadership has never been to be a good female leader. My strategy has been to be so good that they can't ignore you. Mm. And Oh, by the way, I happen to be a woman. That's a quote by Steve Martin. I believe he said, be so good. They can't ignore you. I'm like, yeah, let's just be so good. They can't ignore me. And then, Oh, by the way, I happen to be a woman. So, so with the disclaimer of this is camped in a lot of um, common sense, and very measured, reasonable uh, approach from you and I. Um, the, I saw something on Instagram years ago, and it's a quote. I don't know whose quote it is. It wasn't attributed, but I thought that summarizes that summarizes it better than anything. And this is the answer to your question. As a culture, we expect women to work like they don't have children and raise children like they don't work. Mm. And it's, it's an impossible good. formula because I have seen companies, plenty of companies, that would say from their core values, from their, um, you know, things they like to, to put on a plaque on the wall. Oh, we're pro, you know, family, pro values. But when a woman calls in and says, hey, I, I'm, I'm just doubled over in morning sickness because I'm pregnant or my child has got the flu and I've got to pick him up. There's such an inconvenience and eye roll to the fact that that actually has real implications in real workload and real life and real time where it's like, oh, yes, we want to like family, family. But then, then when you really have to actually take care of these children that you birthed and you raised and are part of your family, it becomes like, oh, I don't know if we really care that much. Like we're really just, you need to be in this meeting. And so I think we need to be honest with ourselves about what we mean by being pro-family, being pro-parenting. you know, parenting. And this is for men and women. Yeah. But the, the, um, the, his, the history of gender roles is so deep. I mean, I even just studying the, um, you know, during the Bible times in the Greco-Roman world, (laughs) women at that time, how women were viewed and their education level. And like, 
like they couldn't do anything. And so even though we've come so far as a, as a culture and as a people, a lot of those, especially in the South, especially in the Christian world, especially with the Bible being taken out of context in many situations um, or misused or abused, you just have a lot of those roots, toxic yep. roots that run deep. And, um, and so I think that there's a, it takes time to overcome those. It takes um, awareness. It takes the Holy Spirit showing us, you know, what this should look like and, and what it looks like to honor each other. Um, so I, I think for me, it's the, it really is the double standard of we expect you to be the PTA mom with the perfect house and the perfect kids and perfect everything and home cook every meal and be at every meeting and be the leader and do both of the, and that, that's, it's just impossible. It's actually impossible. I, lo- I um, love that you said that because that lines up exactly with what every lady in that room said. Mm-hmm. They all, and they didn't use the phrase, but they all said the same thing. You know, we're trying to achieve and accomplish, but yet our role at home is like, we all are home mm-hmm. and it's a very hard, what would you tell to any gentleman in leadership who has a lady working on his team? about what their expectations should be. If you were to give them business coaching advice as they build their company, build their church, um, and they've got they've got fast-paced females that are working along. I've just mm-hmm. left my office and left one just a second ago that was in an executive meeting I was in. What would you tell them as advice on making that a great environment so they can make the most of their time? Mm. That's good. If you have um, women on your leadership team that are smart and um, trustworthy and mature, then ask them what they want. That's good. And listen. Now, if you have a young woman that is immature and a poor communicator and dramatic, that's not someone you need to ask because that's, that's just going to hurt the case. That's right. Seriously. That's right. When you have someone yep. that's like, you're, you're just exactly going to be dramatic right. and you, you just hurt the whole cause. But if you have women that are very um, uh, mature, and yeah. wise, then ask them, what should this look like? That's good. Um, help them speak into it. I think that's the other thing. Um, just a lot of listening too. I think it's so easy to assume, you know what that person feels like, you know what their day is like, you know what it's like to be them. And this goes both ways. It's easy to look at someone in leadership and go, oh, it must be nice to get paid so much. It's like, you have no idea the have, fires yeah. they have to put out, the decisions they have to make, the, the difficulty. It's so easy to judge someone else. But I just think a lot of room for listening and a lot of room for not assuming you know what it's like to be them and not assuming you know what they need. Um, instead, just ask and, and actually listen. I think that that could, the dialogue could could make a lot of progress there. If if Christy is to implement this perfectly in her life, what do you hope that you create for your future? So you're able to institute all these things in your questions, your five question approach. Can I do it? Is this a priority for me? What will I What will I not be able to do? What you were just hitting a second ago, will I want to do it then? Mm-hmm. If you're able to live this out correctly, what do you hope your life looks like for your children that have a front row seat? And they're watching mom. They're watching mom writing books, <laughs> going to seminary. I don't know if you had a bad day or <laughs> what made you sign up for that, but you should have called. Um, so whatever that was, but you're, you're doing all these things. What do you hope they say about their mom? If you're able to institute all these things correctly? Mm, I love that question. So it's, um, it's kind of like what we were talking about a minute ago with the both. And it's yes, because I want my kids to know obviously that I love them, 
that I'm there for them. I would do anything for them, that they are my most important priority. And they're not everything. Mm, I'm not going to lose myself when they go to college. I'm not going to cry in the fetal position for three years and not know what to do with my life. Who am I? Because I was only a mom. And I saw myself as only a mom. I don't mean only a mom in vocation. I mean, I saw myself as only a mom, not a woman with desires, gifts, and talents outside of my children. Because I think there's a really dangerous message in the church there. I think being a stay-at-home mom, if God calls you that and you want to do that, it's fantastic. But there's a difference between being a stay-at-home mom in vocation and viewing yourself as only a mom. If you view yourself as only a mom, then when your children go to college, or God forbid if something happened, you don't have an identity anymore. And that is dangerous and unbiblical. And so we cannot put our sole source of identity on any other person, not even our children that we love more than anything. So I want them to know that they're the most important thing and they're not everything. So that means I will say no to them. That means I will work and take time away from them. That means other people will care for them, whether that's our wonderful nanny, Becca, or my husband or grandparents. At times they have more people to come around them and love them, which is good for them to have variety. Um, That the, they're not the center of my universe. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a healthy, healthy, um, perspective in that, that they know that they are the most important thing to me and they are not everything to me because no one can carry that burden and we shouldn't. It's unhealthy to put it on their shoulders. Um, and so I, I, I don't know what that looks like perfectly, but I know that if they get that, then I think I've done it right. I, I totally agree with you. And I think in that you've built a healthy life and a healthy marriage. Yes. And, and that's a big deal for men and women. Yes is well, children can, can take too big a priority sometimes. Yes. Can we talk about that? Can we talk Please, about absolutely. This? Um, this is a very controversial stance, and I don't care because, again, I'm an angry mate. I just like ruffling <laughs> feathers. It's a pastime <laughs> for me. Um, your marriage comes first, mm, period. Right. Your marriage comes first, and women miss that, and that is a real beef I have with a lot of women, especially women in the South and in the, uh, the, the church world, because they completely completely ignore their husband. They completely dismiss their husband. Their husband is a a person that does their honeydew list and partners with them in managing the business of the household. There's no intimacy. There's no sex. There's no emotional connection. There's no fun. There's no dates. There's none of the things y'all had before these children came into the world. And then you wonder why your marriage disintegrates. And then who suffers? Everyone. Everybody. Everyone. Your children that you're supposedly doing it in the name of are suffer your husband suffers and you suffer so the one of the best things you can do for your kids is to prioritize your marriage is to give them this safe world to live and grow up within where you have date nights you go on vacation without the kids you look each other in the eye you tell stories from before you had kids you re-engage in who you were before those kids came in the world and man so many people miss that yeah but golly i just i think that i think families would be so different if women would stop treating their husband like a handyman yep. and it just, and the going back to the time thing, one of the, the sentences that I put in the book, cause we all talk about, Oh, we don't have enough time. We don't have enough time. I don't have time to work out. I don't have time to go on a date with my husband. I don't have time. Okay. These are the same people that know about every man that's ever accepted a rose on the bachelorette. And so here is my tough love for you. If you know about every man that's ever accepted a rose on the bachelorette, but you don't know about the man living in your own house. You don't have a time problem. You have a priority problem. Mm-hmm. You need to know what really matters most and spend your life on those things if you want to see the fruit of that in your marriage and in your family and your life. And that and that is great advice. And if you in in for you with the ages of your kids, if you're able to continue to live that. They will, and, and then I would say this to every parent because we've gone through it. Mine are, mine are 27 and 24. 
they're going to leave your house. That's going to happen. They don't invite you on a double date. They're going to leave your house. And well, they should. (laughs) And that's the, that's the way it was created right before my daughter got married to my, I don't know if I was listening to a podcast. Somebody said, um, you know, don't, you're not gaining a new son and that other family's not gaining a new daughter. They're creating their own family. And that's what you've raised them for. And so to give in that great advice. And so to give them that healthy model of what that looks like, you and your husband, man, kudos to you guys, because it's hard and the greatest peer pressure you will ever face that I ever faced was not growing up, going off to college. Greatest peer pressure I ever faced was fitting in this mold of what parents and 2000s look like right. when you go no that's that's not what the way God's called us we're going to go on vacation and our right. kids are going they're going to be okay they're going to they're going to be all right and being okay with the judgment from other people because what's so interesting is often we project onto others and so the judgment you're getting is actually people that are incredibly unhappy in their own marriages they wish they could do that that's right but instead of taking having the courage to do that themselves they judge you and throw those stones and so I think you make such a good point I love that advice that that someone gave you because it's one of those things that we think, well, Oh, we'll reconnect when they're in college and we have time and energy. It's like, no, you cannot abandon a relationship for two decades. You don't know that person anymore. And so what it was so cool too, is I've noticed Matt and I, we will go on dates and we go on vacation every year. And we, we, we dedicate time to he and I, but I've noticed that when we're with the kids, we don't touch each other. Like, it's just kind of like everybody's wrangling. Somebody's getting dinner. Someone's making lunches. And so months ago, I was like, we touch each other, like hug and kiss. And like, I'll sit on your lap. Like, like I want them to see us touch. So since we started doing that, the kids are like, and they like want to get in on it. So like, yeah. if, my, if my husband, I'll hug, they'll come squeeze in between us. They feel so safe in the family of us versus we're two individuals managing the household where the world revolves around them, which is kind of what they see when, when they're awake, when they go to bed, we'll, you know, hang out, whatever. But I want them to see us together. Or when we go on a date. We've been going on dates their whole life, not every week, but we go on dates regularly. And every time they're like, now what? Now you're doing what? Now, I, why can't we? Go? Well, we don't understand why you would oh, not yeah. want to be with us 24 seven. Like, like it's, it's crazy. Good for them to see, it's good for them to see. We, we have us apart from you all and, right. and you in the safety of that. And so, man, it's just, it's just being intentional. Um, but gosh, it pays off if you do. It does. And when yours go off to college, my daughter finally left for college and it was just my wife and I. It took us about two months to find our footing. Right. And then it's like, this is awesome. This so is she's awesome. been gone for years. Well, during COVID, she graduated from college. She's working over in Gwinnett County across Atlanta. And uh, she had to come home during COVID. And Ann and I were like, we're going to run out and grab something. And she's like, where are we going? I went, no, 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 no. We're not going anywhere. We're going somewhere. You not yeah, you, you know, you didn't fit in this puzzle in a long time. But I'm telling you, in the, the the beauty of it for you, Christy, is and how all this plays in, it's taking advantage of your time. You have all of these compartments, business, life, books, seminary, marriage, kids. That's yours. Nobody else owns it. And what I love about even just focusing on this is it's your time and you are doing the best you can with your time. Well, and you, but you make a good point too, because I want to hit on this in relation to what we were just talking about with marriage, because what's interesting is we tend to fall to one of two extremes. We're either 
we become the doormat in the marriage or the family where we act like a victim and we just run to soccer practice and do all the things everybody wants us to do. And we feel like it's not our time at all. And those people need to hear the, hear the message. This is your life. What do you want to do? You yep. get to spend it how you want. And then the other extreme can be popular in this personal development culture we have of the universe is on your side and all this nonsense where it's kind of like you do you girl and it doesn't matter who gets in your way doesn't matter if he's your husband no too bad for him he can watch the kids you're out of here go to your spa day go for a run you do you that is toxic and untrue as well and so one of the things i know in the book that is very important to call out when you walked down the aisle for those of you that are married when you walked on the aisle you said a vow to spend your life with this other person aka your time yep when you're planning your time Yes, this is your time in your life and you should spend it on what's important to you. And it's a conversation with that person that you spend your life with. So what this looks like in a practical way with my husband and I, at the beginning of every new season, so we're actually about to do this in the next like two weeks, we go to a coffee shop, we get childcare, we go to a coffee shop, we journal, we go through a couple exercises of like, what did we learn from last year? What do we want Mm. for next, for the next season? What are some boundaries we need to set? What are some goals we want to set? We do this individually. And then we share them. And then we figure out what does our shared season look like? Okay, Matt's going to work out twice a week. I really want to get the kids in swim lessons. We're going to take one vacation. We're going to, we both speak into it like you would a budget with your money, but you're doing it with your time where you're not saying, I'm going to set these goals, hope it doesn't inconvenience you. And if it does too bad, because you're married. And so this is a great conversation starter for those of you that are married. In fact, at the end of every chapter in the book, there's a challenge and journal questions yep. for reflection. And the challenge correlates with the workbook. It's a digital workbook that you get free with the book. But the challenge almost always connects to your spouse in some way if you're married. Sit down with your spouse and create the ideal calendar. Sit down with your spouse and set boundaries for the season. Sit down with your spouse and talk about what's most important to you in the season. So this is a dialogue with the person that you've chosen to spend your life with. And then coming out of it, you both are creating your version of balance and you're both speaking into it. And I think that's a really important note in these in this culture of extremes where you can kind of see um, two unhealthy extremes. Fantastic. And I, and I want our listeners to know this book is so practical. That's what I loved about it. The questions you ask, in fact, we covered them in a leadership meeting this morning because they're just so practical and everybody needs to pause long enough to say, because I don't know how many times I've headed out to a speaking engagement you know, the question, well, I want to do it then. And how many times I'm going out the door griping about, <laughs> nope. well, I don't want to go do this wedding or I don't want to go do right, that. You know, you know, like, right. what was I thinking? Why did right. I say yes to this? So my final question, you, Christy, is this, you're, you're a follower of Christ, person of faith. We know one day we, by grace, we'll all be in heaven by, by what Christ did for us. We're not going to stand accountable for the sins we committed because those were covered on the cross but we will be accountable for how we spent our time and how we spent the gift of time that God gave us. What do you hope the Lord says to Christy Wright about how you handled this life that he gave you? What do you hope he looks at you and says? You know, I don't know if you'd asked me this question in a different season, I might have a different answer, but I'll tell you what has just been so on my heart right now. Um, And it is a word that just keeps coming up again and again. And it's just obedient. Mm. You were obedient because I feel like in my life, God has asked me to do some crazy things. He's asking me to do some crazy things right now. Seminary, one of the crazy things that I did not want to do. And here I am. Um, But I'm walking this out in real time right now. And 
Some are crazy, some are hard, some don't make sense, some make sense later, and some don't make sense later. And I just, I just want to be a person that obeys. I just want to be a person that obeys. And when you look at scripture, um, the heroes of the faith, they walk by faith, Hebrews 11, you know, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. I just want to believe God when he asked me to do something crazy and just obey, even if people don't understand. And even if it doesn't make sense, I just, and I think if I obey in this life, then I will be doing the work that he has for me. If I obey now, if I don't obey, then then I won't. But I think if I obey, then I'll I'll get as close to the mark as I can. None of us are perfect, but I think I'll get close. That was good stuff, wasn't it? You know, when you think about time, and you think about we're all given equal amounts, yet some redeem it for more than others. You know, understanding urgent and important understanding this can wait and this needs to happen now without the Lord walking with you. I don't know how you handle that. And Christy does such a great job. I hope you will pick up her book and be a part of learning and growing through her book. Man, it is so good. Take back your time. There's links in our show notes that you can go and do that. And I pray that you recognize how valuable time is. We don't know. The Lord knows our time. We don't. That's why we've got to make every day count. Every conversation, every moment, don't wish it away. Don't think that you got unlimited amounts. You don't. You know, Scripture says that it's really like a vapor. Life is like a vapor. It's here one second, and it's gone the next. And we want to make the most of it. We want to we want to live for Him in our life and our leadership. And Christy helps lay out a great framework for us to be able to do that. Thank you so much, Christy, for taking the time out of your crazy busy schedule to be a part of our conversation. Well, our next episode, we get to make a little pivot, but also get to talk to another great leader who got to experience a time he will never forget. It's the head coach of Mississippi State Baseball, Coach Chris Lamonis. Coach Lamonis and his squad took home the NCAA Division I National Championship in 2021, and, and his team was so fun to watch. But let me tell you something. Behind that team was a leader who set the course, set the sails, and just is an amazing person to spend time with. You are going to love it. So if you got baseball friends and baseball fans, make sure and let them know about head coach Chris Lamonis. And really, the reality is no matter what industry you're in, man, there are some nuggets of truth, of leadership that'll be just for you. Thanks again for joining us today. And I pray that you will be the leader that God created you to be in the space and place that he has put you. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.